You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Duncan, out of Gelskirchen, Germany. And I'm Michael Edwards from Denver, Colorado. We thrive on the support of our listeners, so please check out sunriserobot.net slash support to see some ways you can help us out. We're in episode 32 now, which just reminded us of the 32X. I just hope that we're not going to go the way of the 32X. Yeah. It was a horrible idea back in the day. Yeah, it needed its own power supply. I, I yeah. watched the ang- angry video game nerd about it. <laughs> yeah. If you're interested, you can get it on a flea market for probably two cents and you're going to get the whole Sega system with it. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to play Star Wars Arcade again. <laughs> but we're not flipping tables. We're going to talk about music and some of the technology related to music sometimes, like this crazy, unnecessarily complicated tuning device. So yeah, there's uh, this roadie tuner. So we've got a, a, a link in the show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 32. Um, and it's, this is an automated tuner. Um, literally, like you, you put it over the tuning pegs on your guitar and it spins for you. Um, but how does it know when to stop? Well, it pairs itself to your smartphone. So you, you strum a note and you have your, your phone on your lap and it hears the note, and then it starts turning. Yeah. Best what if idea. You, what <laughs> if you put your strings in backwards? Oh. Or does it know if you're on a Fender or on a like a, a Les Paul, if your tuning pegs <laughs> switch halfway through? I have seen, I've seen a bunch of like tuners that kind of work like this, but they don't pair themselves to a to a smartphone reason being that usually when they were invented, there were no smartphones that could handle that stuff. <laughs> And my thought was just, I'm never going to sit down at a concert and tune my guitar using my smartphone. If I'm at that place, I probably have a tuning pedal or another way of getting it in tune. Like my my amplifier usually had a tuner in there built in. And um, I'm just thinking that if you build this little plastic case with a battery in it, uh, with a motor to turn it, then you only have to know... You only have to have a control unit, like how much do you have to tune it? So either you build the microphone and the circuits into that thing, or you put that with a smartphone. Or even like the, you've seen those tuners that you just clip them on the end of your guitar and they just use the yeah. vibrations. So just, just have a little like tassel that goes and clips to the end that just feels the vibrations. Yeah. And lo and behold, there are tuners that do that. So <laughs> I, I don't know if they just thought, okay, let's make these things less expensive by removing that circuitry and putting it in an app because apps are easier to develop. There's no production cost once you have them. But the problem there is that it just makes no sense. Yeah. It, it just, why why do this? Well, the app looked like it had a lot to it too because you could have different tuning methods or it's like if you want to be like you know, not perfectly in tune because you have some friend with a terrible instrument or something. Um, I don't know. They kept kind of making it like there was these pro uses of like weird tunings that you would very quickly switch to. And I just, it seems so niche. Like yeah. I just need something that tells me if I, I'm hitting the note I want it, I want to hear. And then I can make the adjustments. Yeah. Um, I just, 
got reminded of there is actually a completely automatic tuner. Like I would call what we have here, this road tuner is kind of semi, semi automatic. There is actually a tropical tuners auto tuner for your guitar. It's just like a little device that I don't know if it's built in with the tuners. I think it's coupled with them with the actual tuning packs. And you just strum the guitar and it does the tuning all by itself. Like you have little LED lights and if they're green, you're in tune. It looks really crazy how the packs adjust themselves. So clearly there has to be an off switch because while you were playing a song, it would be going insane. <laughs> well, if probably. you forget to turn it off when you start a song and you're just like, what well, is maybe, happening? maybe that is the key to get your guitar into just intonation. <laughs> Tell us about this. What, Stop what laughing just... about my segues. I'm trying to do my best here. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a researcher that claims that soon in the future, we might change to a different tuning system altogether once again. And I say once again, because we have changed our tuning system once. Um, I think it was Bach who, who was it Bach who invented the temperate tuning? I think it was Bach. I don't know. Let me check that before I go on. I was doing some live Googling. Yeah, it's Bach. Um, because in kind of at around seven seventy hundred, um, Bach invented the temper, the well temperament tuning. I, I I have to look this vocabulary up every time because I the words are kind of different in German. The point of that tuning was before that, um, the the tuning of the notes on a piano or a guitar and any physical instrument was um. Yeah, aligned to the overtones of the frequencies that are produced. Like we t we talked about this before on the show, I think that um, for the pitch of a note, you like look at the basic uh, of you look at the bass frequency, like the lowest frequency that happens, the the most prominent, and then you've got some overtones, like more frequencies that shape the the actual tone of the note. And so the before before the temperament tuning, we were kind of oriented towards the those overtones in our tuning which resulted in some intervals sounding not as good as other in, uh, intervals. Like some scales were sounded better than other scales. And so this Bach came along and said, hey, let's tune our piano and our guitars differently. And we just adjusted a little bit so all keys sound the same in the way that they all sound well. Like some people said they didn't sound as good as before. But at now, like they all sound the same and you can actually switch between those. Like this was, was the first time we could write a piece where you could sw uh, switch the, the scale or the, the key of the song while playing. So now this researcher comes along and says, well, now we've got computers to kind of micromanage our tuning while we're playing. So we can go back to this intonation and he calls it just intonation where we can use all, all, all of the, um, all of the benefits of the just intonation and the temperate intonation by being able to switch between those, like every key sounds good, but they all sound better now. And it's a really complicated topic and I tried my best to kind of convey it without going into the yeah really scientific details and, and ratios between frequencies. Yeah, it has a more mathematical purity to it, the way the the harmonics blend between tones and... It's it's definitely beyond me too. Even though I, I studied math and I play music all the time, <laughs> um, but I do think there's there's a cultural war that like yeah maybe long term something could change culturally. You know generations come and go and new stuff emerges, but I don't think you're going to convince any living person or many living people to want 
any change at all um, to, to yeah. what we have. And then one of his examples in the article is he says, bagpipes are tuned using just intonation and they aren't out of tune. They just sound different. And to me, that's, oh man, like if you think bagpipes are going to be your go-to example, you've already lost. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see two reasons why this won't really work. Uh, as as you say, like the culture as a whole won't decide to switch to this tuning because I, at least the the first one could change over time. As you said, it, it sounds awkward the first time yet. And we when we put uh, we link one of his demos in the show notes, um, it kind of does sound awkward. You're not used to it. It's like listening to um, to to music in with micro tunings like the Middle East. There, there there's some music there with micro tunings. I saw a video in the other day where a guy had a guitar with about 100 frets on it, and they were all over the place, and it. Most of the time it sounded right, and then sometimes there were some micro micro notes in there, and it kind of sounds weird. I mean, you can get used to it, but it's not like yeah. a, a switch you flip, and now it sounds good. I think we're, other, we're we're used to those microtones being intentional deviations in songs where yeah. someone decides to well, let's just you know let's do quarter steps, let's do eighth steps between tones. Yeah. The the other one being that you need some really special instruments if you want to play those. Um, you can't, yeah, like if you have a, a fretless instrument, like a violin or maybe fretless bass, um, yeah, sure, no problem. You just have to remember where all the notes are depending on which scale you are playing. But if you have a regular guitar, you would have intermediate frets, which you would only use in certain scales. Or you'd have to bend the string consistently or something. Yeah. <laughs> and once you go to the piano, like, I don't know, there's no way. You would have to have little switches on your keys maybe or i, I don't know how another you foot do that. pedal yeah oh, another foot pedal yeah like but a then, million foot pedals yeah. well we there's a guy in our rundown that has a million <laughs> foot pedals but yeah and like the way i describe some of his demos as and some of it is partly the the song he was reproducing but um I think it's partly also just his showing off of the intonation stuff, but it, the songs sound like they're constantly being transposed, like you're on this merry-go-round around different keys or something. Um, and it, it sounds more like, hey, why do you keep doing that, rather than, oh, this is just a... Like, I, I don't know how I would get used to it. It seems so specific that it's like, oh, this is a kind of song. And yeah, rather than liberating us, I'm like, I don't want everything to sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Just, it, it's, it's really, really strange. Like, listen to it. It, it at first, uh, the, the kind of sounds he chose for the MIDI, it sound, it reminded me of the soundtrack to Katamari Damashi. Uh, this playful, uh, kind of square note, uh, a square wave sounding synth and, yeah, it's all like transposing up and down the whole time. It yeah. sounds it it sounds fun, but as you said, it's I couldn't see myself using it all the time. I just thought of a way to explain why I I don't find myself seeing a lasting interest in it. Is uh, on his SoundCloud, he also gloats about his fractals he generated for the album art. <laughs> and there's a weird sense of like you can argue fractals are more varied, have more going on, they're infinitely evolving things. They are beautiful, yeah. They are beautiful, but in in a weird sort of way all fractals kind of look the same even though none of them are the same. <laughs> and so maybe this music is technically more mathematically pure. <laughs> You're just being racist about fractals, <laughs> I guess. 
I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of fractal music where it's like, that's really interesting. I don't want to see only this, though. But as you said, there's this one guy with a million foot pedals who we could see he would be interested in this kind of stuff and probably would have a way to uh, adjust his complete MIDI situation <laughs> to uh, to this whole, uh, yeah, let's say... Um, paradigm shift in intonation so tell me about vangelis so vangelis uh famed composer especially in the 80s of such classics of chariots of fire and blade runner which i legitimately genuinely love that soundtrack um it's so iconically part of the 80s for me that i can't it's like going in a time machine now even though it was futuristic at the time it's the weird thing to look back and be like that's so retro it's um, future synth. But we have a video here. We have a pair of videos on Vimeo that are kind of like behind the scenes documentary footage. I don't know if this is from an actual film or some, it looks excerpted from an actual film, um, where he's just describing or mostly just playing in his uh, crazy studio where he's got, you know, keyboards surrounding him, a giant, you know, it looked like a 30 or 60 track mixer and, uh, He's got, you know, 20 foot pedals and there's a projector showing a computer screen of all of this equalizer. So while he's playing, he can see which frequencies, I guess, are, are represented. And, uh, it's kind of nuts how low tech some of it is. Like he's, he's got pieces of paper he's writing on with a marker and he's these little weird rotating, um, parts, panels that rotate that he writes yeah. symbols on. That clearly tell him what what patch is associated. Um, so you know, it'll be a V with a apostrophe over it, and that means this kind of trumpet, or I don't know, whatever violins, legato, kind of trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and he's just talking about, and clearly this was when the idea of having any instrument you want at your fingertips was still pretty new and kind of ridiculously amazing, even though now we're like, oh, that's every, literally every laptop is that now. Um, I don't want to, like, there's so much wonder, though, in the room, because he's just like, you want yeah. trumpets? You want violins? I got it. I have everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love those little rotating panels, because um, in, in today's age, you would think, why isn't this just a button that which changes an LED light or an LED display? But no, of course, it's all physical. It's all mechanical. Like he writes on those and when he flips this one switch, they really slowly rotate. It's not like instantaneous. I mean, probably he could, uh, he could press the other button, which changes the patch and it would do that. But like you sw flip the switch and it slowly rotates to maybe his violins, maybe his trumpets. And <laughs> it sounds, it looks so interesting. And, and they, they kind of remind me of the buttons uh, you have in the cockpit of um, the, the cable cars we have here. Um, we still have some really old cable cars and they all have buttons that look just like this. I was trying to find a, a picture. I found one, but it was on image check. So I, I, oh. I couldn't really access it. Yeah. <laughs> Got really angry. I couldn't find a proper picture that wasn't on image check. Well, that's, that's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean I'm I'm speechless. Image Shack is just surprisingly no, but this MIDI situation is so amazing. I always dream of, and I'm still working towards having something similar where I can just say, "Let me just improvise a complete song with four instruments and a drum and some drums and vocals." And um, I've gotten pretty close. Um, I haven't practiced a lot in in recent months because I just didn't get to it. 
And I'm just really jealous of this guy just being able to sit down and play anything he has in his mind because he's everything at his fingertips. And uh, I, th- I think I read somewhere that everything there, or those rotating panel things at least, they're all custom built for him. I think it says even on the back, like custom built for, for Vangelis. I wonder and, what the uh, maintenance budget is on something that <laughs> unique. And uh, the other funny thing in these videos is they constantly make reference to uh, him recording to cassette tapes. And I'm like, oh, there's another blast from the past. But <laughs> And there's uh, this lady in the, so in the second video, which is a slightly longer video, um, there's this lady that uh, is, is uh, I forget what her title was, but she, she transcribes from his cassette tapes. And I don't know if this is because he doesn't care for sheet music or if he just doesn't, can't, can't be bothered, can't be bothered with the time it takes to transcribe his own stuff. (laughs) Um, even though there, there are, there are ways that MIDI can be transcribed for you. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not at the time. And it is a MIDI setup. (laughs) Um, but anyway, uh, she, she, they showed her listening with headphones and then (laughs) drawing notes and how, I mean, to do that with cassette, how quickly would you wear out that tape rewinding over and over? Yeah. Or if she's just that good, she can hear, like, she can listen Probably. to five parts at once and, like, all right, for the next two measures, this is all that happened. I, I'd have to rewind a million times. Yeah. And at the beginning of that video, um, there's this other guy who explains, uh, uh, a real situation. Now, this is not a midi situation, but a <laughs> where he was uh, invited to his home and he goes on to say, like, there were two girls there, of course, and I don't know. I, I really have to find the line again. It's just and too he specifically good of a says line. nubile yeah. girls, yeah, and like very casually, like it's not like oh, of course. Note from the editing process right now: um, the video is sadly not online anymore. They've taken it down from Vimeo, so I cannot add this sound clip in this moment. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, so let's just get on with the show. I just get the sense like he's not he's not like a ladies man necessarily because he's more like the weird eccentric guy that you're like I hope I hope he's just weird and not like a, a serial killer or something. It's like yeah, I got this pile of cassette tapes and I'm hanging out with nubile girls. MIDI setup is the way to to get a date and to get girls to your home, probably <laughs> uh, if you if you can believe this guy. <laughs> All right, we got one more story here before we get to our FX plane. So Marshall, the, the amp manufacturer, has actually made an Android smartphone. And uh, this is a really interesting looking phone. I I saw this, you had put this in the show notes, and I clicked on the link ready to hate this thing and just be like, oh my <laughs> God, what have they done? And it's weird, but there's actually, it's a pretty interesting device and you know, most smartphones are kind of becoming the same. It seems like they're all going towards five to six inches and as minimalist as possible, no bezel. And like, while that's mostly a good thing because they're mostly good decisions, it, there there's kind of no no more playfulness with what a phone can be that we definitely saw a lot of before the iPhone. And uh, I would... So let's just get into it. So what's on this Marshall phone? Well, first you have stereo speakers, which I, I know HTC has done that before with one of their HTC ones. But uh, this just, this looks like a serious <laughs> set of speakers. Uh, like it's probably like, you know, maybe it's not a Beats pill, but <laughs> they, they claim it's very loud. 
Um, it's got two headphone jacks, so you and a friend, and independent volume levels for each headphone jack. So if you want to give your friend the ability to listen to the same thing, but they like it twice as loud as you do. They have a dedicated M button, so you can get to music controls from one tap. That one's a little weird, very niche. Um, what what else about this? Yeah, about that second output jack, I, I read in another article, um, and it, it says somewhere on the website as well, there is um, a Marshall DJ app for your phone. And now I don't really see any real uh, professional DJ using a small DJ app on your iPhone, but... I thought the, 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 yeah, the thought they had with that was still very interesting that you could, um, then hook up the second audio jack to the actual stereo system. So you could preview what you're going to play on your headphones and then send it to the second output jack. So you had like a, a pre-fade listen on what's being played and, and an independent actual output jack. So it's like a little bit of mixture, fun- mixer functionality built in. I thought that was cool. Although I don't see anybody using it uh, other than uh, screwing around with it for a few minutes and then leaving it at that. Yeah. And one of the other things you're taking advantage of is for the longest time, Android has had horrible audio latency, um, like p- mostly unusable for musicians just because they, uh, Google hadn't bothered to provide low level APIs. There, there was nothing, um, lower level, which, I think iOS inherited from OS ten because yeah. Apple always kind of had this core audio thing, and there's a lot of apps and and devices that pair with iPads and amp simulators that you put in a little rack and yeah, it all works with iPads, but um, yeah, yeah, Android hasn't gotten this yet. Well, I hope they soon do. That's what um, I, I haven't used it. I can't verify. I should look it up, but. Uh, Apparently, Lollipop made a big difference in providing low latency audio input. So I should try it. Um, yeah, supposedly this will be getting better. So I, I mean, I don't think it was these device and software developers going, "We just love Apple." I think it really was about the the platform being way more conducive to, to yeah. audio. But the, this that's a feature on their page. Is this? It actually mentions Android Lollipop's low latency audio input ensures that music and communication apps provide an amazing real-time experience. <laughs> there were some lines in here. Let me see if I can find one that just like, they were so marketing person that it, it, it struck me a little weird. Um, they have an input jack on there as well. Like we have two output jacks, but of course there's an input jack where you can put your guitar in, which is kind of the reason why you have a low latency, why it makes sense to have the low latency. At least that's what I can tell from this picture with a guitar with a cable in his um, guitar and the other end of the cable going to the phone. Yeah, it also has uh, two different microphones, so it can record in stereo um, if you just want to throw your phone in the middle of the practice space and capture a demo. And here's here's where the marketing line was that I was talking about. It says... uh, Noise reduction means you'll be able to easily hear your tracks even if you're recording outside. Marshall's sound engineers were blown away when this mic was tested. And we think you will be as well. I'm like, some marketing guy just said that. Yeah. Audio guys are never blown away unless it's really a really expensive, high-grade microphone. The only way that that phrase could be true is if they left out the we're blown away how a phone or how a phone mic could possibly sound this yeah. good. But they, they didn't say that. 
Um, I just zoomed on that picture that I uh, was speaking about. Um, it does kind of look like there's an interface between those. So like there, there's a radio audio jack going there. Then in the bottom of the picture, almost cropped out is a little interface, which then goes into the USB input, I think. So I'm, I'm going to redact that statement that it has an actual input jack, but at least there's some way to get audio in there. Yeah. And maybe this uh, thing is bundled there. I don't know. But yeah, it looks interesting. It looks like something you could actually really use, uh, because I, I tried some apps, uh, where, um, with which you could make music or like I had a tuner on there for some time. Um, not like an automatic roadie tuner, but, <laughs> uh, just an app that, that told me my pitch and all that. And I have stopped using all of those apps except for just the regular note recording app, because sometimes I have an idea. I just want to record a melody and be done with it. But this actually looks like you could really use like a four track recorder that way and not having to bother with low latency or once you have four tracks recorded, you have your room on there four times because you have a built in microphone that records the whole room with you. So maybe there's actually a way to then actually use those apps um, and record some some great four track loops and make some songs out of that on Android. That is not on iPhone. FX plane. If you are actually listening to uh, to us on that new Marshall um, on that new Marshall smartphone, you can now use your stereo output to full advantage. <laughs> Why are you going to pan our voices left and right for this section? Maybe I'm going to do that just to <laughs> to uh, make it clear. I mean, we are actually recording and distributing this podcast in stereo. Yeah. Um. So let's make use of that. But first of all, what is stereo anyway? So stereo kind of, to me, I, I didn't kind of look up a definition, but to me it just means you have two speakers or multiple sets of speakers which you usually group into left and right. And they can play sounds d independently of one another. Like you usually have some elements playing on both of them, but yeah, you can have them play completely different things. It's just two times mono more or less and yeah you usually like 99.99 percent of the time you just have a left and the right speaker or a left group of speakers right group of speakers so and then what you do is you put some stuff in the middle which means it plays on both of those speakers and sometimes you could put stuff on either side on left or right which means it only plays on one of them or it's just a mix like it plays a little bit on the left one but a lot on the right one and this is what is called panning, like panning. It comes from panorama or panning. And in, in if you're a videographer um, or filming, like a pan shot where you move the camera from left to right. And yeah, that that's kind of where I got the name from. <clears throat> and theoretically, what you're just doing if you pan something left and right, as I said, you just kind of lower the volume on one of the speakers and raise it just a little bit on the other one. And this just a little bit of raising it on the other one, th this is where pen laws come into play so there are a million different ways where you could say okay i'm just going to lower it on the right one if i want to play it uh pan it to the left but how much are you going to raise the volume to towards the left and how quickly are you going to raise it and there are a lot of ways to do this and like every door does it differently some doors you can configure it i think nuendo has a way pro uh, pro logic probably also a uh, pro tools i mean uh 
probably as a way. And this is something that professional audio engineers kind of, yeah, this is kind of the war. It's <laughs> almost like, it's almost like QWERTY versus Dwarak in uh, computer typing. Like, how do you put, uh, how, which pen law do you use? And I've read people <laughs> saying like, oh, I don't use Ableton. The pen law is awful. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I'm not using Ableton because of the pen law. I'm using it because of my workflow. Um, yeah. Have you ever encountered pen loss in your everyday life or is it just something you don't know? No, with? I've never put any thought into it. And to me, it's like people arguing about minimalist text editors or something. And it's like, I thought we were trying yeah. to write a story. Why are you arguing about, <laughs> anyway, the full screen yeah. mode of write room versus something else? Uh, uh, I mean, doesn't this come up though because of the, the way it's trying to compensate for the way stereo sounds in a room and so in a perfectly acoustically treated room then when when you have stereo speakers the the audio sums in a different way than it does in most yeah. rooms and so i i like to think that there's an ideal and then there's a, a practical you're probably in a shitty room <laughs> choice and maybe audio engineers yeah. are angry that there are different situations <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it does have to do with, uh, yeah, sitting in the sweet spot, a sweet spot of two stereo speakers. And, um, yeah, the problem is that if you add two sounds of the same volume, I think it adds six decibels. Was it six well, or three? From I think three, it was always 4.5 or six, yeah. depending on who you ask. Yeah, that, that's the problem. <laughs> depending on who you ask, like if you, if you have one sound source on the left and add the other one on the right, so they say the sound raises by three to six decibels. And depending on the pen law, you have the different, uh, yeah, you choose a different number. So when you pen something from center to the left speaker, so you only have one speaker to provide the power that before that two speakers would emit. Yeah, you have to raise the volume a little bit, but by how much do you do it? And this is, um, you can like, if you want to have some fun, um, make an account at gearsluts.com. And just throw that little bait in there, like, hey, uh, should I raise my volume by three decibels or by 4.5 if I want to pen something to the left and just watch the, <laughs> the flame war starting? Like, that's a great pastime, trolling gear sluts with pen loss. That's sluts with a Z if you've never been there before. Yeah. So yeah, I've never really um, dealt with that anyway. As we talked last time about uh, acoustic treatment and sound setups, um using headphones anyway so most of those <laughs> probably don't even matter to me anyway um yeah but um why do we pen stuff in the first place because it's fun um to me i mean the, you've got it here in your notes i'll let you speak to that part of it but um to me a stereo is a chance to make things sound more like real life we have two ears we you know i mean our sensory experience is such that we perceive it to be fully surround but um, for the most part, it really is a stereo experience in real life. And so why not have our music also play with that? And I, I remember the first time I got, when I got my Game Boy as a kid and I put headphones in and that was one of the things about Game Boy was it had stereo sound. And, uh, you know, the NES was not stereo, even though, I mean, most TVs didn't even have stereo speakers then. And anyway, the NES, you were hooking in only one audio cable. It was a mono signal. Um, and even though the Game Boy's patches didn't sound as 
they were pretty much the same as the Nintendo. Hearing it in stereo just seemed really magical at the time. And it was a little more extreme panned in those early Game Boy games, um, more so than any cassette tapes I had been listening to, where it was a little more balanced, a little less extreme. Um, and and it's just fun, and it just it, it feels like you have more room in the song. Yeah, and that's it, basically. There's, this is one of the ways that you can make room, more room for stuff in the mix. So uh, what we usually have in, in popular music is that you have the main elements of the song, the vocals, and then stuff like the bass and the kick drum and the snare, which kind of carry the base of basic principle of the song, all dead center, and then you add stuff to the left and the right. And um, yeah, it's, as I said, one, one of the ways, one of the dimensions you can play with in a song and can be automated it can be wide you can have a sound not completely dead center but on the left and the right and we're going to get uh, to that in a second about white signals like yeah. wh what is a white signal um but before that um i've read about this kind of technique or it's more like a mindset really um of, of lcr mixing which um kind of dates back to the days where old mixing consoles didn't really have a um, a knob you could turn to to pan something. No, you had a switch which says L, so left, center, or right. So you had to choose where do you <laughs> want to put the sound. There's no in between. It's just extreme. So um, some people swear to that. They only mix in LCR because they think this this is pure. This is this makes you think otherwise uh, or differently. And um, I, th I think it goes hand in hand with the thought of um, limiting yourself. Kind of makes you more creative. But I think this is too limited. Like <laughs> I want to to dial some things in between. Mostly it has to do with have uh, I like to have like eight melodies in a track, and you can't mix those only on in three spots of the track. So sometimes I just want those in between somewhere. Yeah. Have you ever mixed completely left and completely right, like on purpose throughout the whole song? I, mean, I can't deal with it usually. Um, I was going to ask them before we get into techniques: is uh, are there reasons not to mix in stereo? And I can think of a couple and just situations, but I mean, do you ever, do you ever make the decision not to go stereo? I mean, we do with every other podcast on Sunrise Robot because there's just no benefit or reason because people yeah. just want to listen to a conversation and, you know, you, you risk like if they're playing it in a certain room, if, you know, they're, I don't know. I think of restaurants where they just want some ambient music. Like maybe it's better for the song yeah. to be mono because no matter which speaker's facing you, you're hearing the whole image of the song. Yeah, and that makes sense. And um, the the reason you would sometimes switch to mixing in mono is, um, yeah, sometimes your song is going, your song is going to be played through a mono system. Uh, I've read somewhere that um, when you get too far away from a radio signal, like a regular radio signal um, from a radio station, that it kind of switches to mono just to get the last bit of signal out of there. And you don't want your song to disappear. So you have to be aware of phasing issues. So every once in a while, if you're mixing a song, switch it to mono and see if it still sounds good. And some people go the other way around. They start mixing in mono. So if it sounds good in mono, it will sound good in stereo, yeah. which is also, which that also makes sense. I sometimes do it, but that reminds me of a, in graphic design, a technique is to design in black and white before you switch. To, yeah. It's kind of like that is you, you get yeah. some certain foundational things correct before you start playing with the extra dimension. Yeah. 
And it makes sense. But other than that, usually nothing is really mono anymore, except for most phone speakers, except the Marshall and the <laughs> HTCs. Um, so usually there today, there's little reason to mix in mono or to produce something that is exclusively mono. You just want to be sure that when you mix in stereo, it also sounds good in mono. Like I think today in today's age, that is sufficient. So what are some techniques that, you know, if you want your mix to be wide, what what can you do? Well, first of all, you can start panning stuff left and right. But um, <laughs> especially what I wanted to hit on is if you have a single instrument, like usually let's say you have a guitar and you want that guitar to be big and you want it to be wide. You don't want it to be dead center alone. You want it to be a little bit, bit bigger. Um, what are the ways to widen it, to to fill the whole stereo spectrum with just that one guitar? Well, the first thing you could do, of course, is just record it again, double tracking, which is the usual technique. You record it twice, you try to play it as close as possible, like exactly the same way you can never, you can never really play it exactly the same way. Otherwise you would be a machine. But if you have the rhythm right and uh, the timing right and the, the signal is close to each other, you can tell it's the same thing being played, but it's not exactly the same physically so if you pan one of those signals left one of those right there you go you have a stereo signal of the same melody or the same chords or the same sound because our natural uh ability to not play perfect um yeah it, it makes it stereo in and of itself what doesn't work is just copying that track to the left and the right channel because it's exactly the same yeah. signal you just made a louder mono signal that's not the way to go. You can't just copy and paste it. So either you double track it or you apply some effects. There are many ways to, to achieve it. So one of those we um, talked about when we, when he had an FX plane about delay, you can make use of the so-called Haas effect, which says that, um, I think it was above 20 milliseconds or 15 milliseconds. Um, if you play a sound and you delay it by about 15 milliseconds, it starts to sound like a, a second instance of a sound. Not the same sound, but it kind of sounds different yeah. then. So what you can do, and this is a really cheap trick, I sometimes do it, but really, really seldom. Um, you pan one of the signals left, you pan off the run of them right, and you delay it by just a few milliseconds, like 10 to 20 like somewhere where this phasing effect. So I goes just did away. some live research on the Haas effect, and it's uh one to five milliseconds for really staccato sounds like mm. clicks. Just obviously, you can tell more on those, and uh, it could be anywhere up to forty milliseconds for more complex things like uh -huh. music and piano and speech and things like that. So if they're too close together, you're going to get some some phasing in there, and we had the phaser effect featured also in IFX Plane. And uh, if you pull them too far apart, yeah, it's just going to be delayed and it's going to, um, yeah, it's going to mess with the rhythm, with the rhythm of the song if you delay it too much. This is kind of a cheap trick. I wouldn't use it too much because it, it kind of also uh, messes with the mono signal. Like if you mix those two to mono again, you're going to have some problems. So this is going to just, this should really be the last resort. Yeah. Then you have just some effects which, uh, just are usually stereo effects like there's a chorus i mean you can have a mono chorus but usually today's chorus effects come with a stereo switch and they just make your sound stereo through delay through a little bit of pitch shifting they just add everything of that up and you just have to say how wet do you want the signal to be but 
sometimes you don't want the chorus effect because it sounds too chorusy. Like on vocals, it can sound good, but if you have a distorted guitar in a heavy metal song, you don't want a chorus <laughs> effect on that. Unless you're Nirvana. So then there are dedicated stereo imager effects. They have certain algorithms. They also probably combine some of the harsh effects, some of the chorus effects. Um, they kind of shift the sound in many different ways to just produce a stereo signal out of it. And this is actually something I, that I really like to add sometimes. Um, usually if I master one of my songs, um, one of the things that I do is I pop uh, one of those stereo images on there. I um, kind of make the bass more mono. So it's, it's more in the center and the bass doesn't mess around on the left and right. And the more I go, the, the higher I go in the frequencies, I kind of tend to make it a little bit more wide. And a little bit more stereo because as the higher you go with the frequencies, uh, you can get away with more in the stereo field. Like you, the, if you have the bass, you really usually want to have it centered. Um, you don't want to have the bass solely on the right speaker, except if you're, I don't know, wh when was it recorded? Those Beatles albums, which had everything panned yeah. extremely to the sides. Um, but usually you don't want that. But as the, the higher you go with the frequencies, you can really yeah. widen it up. And I mean, the, an effect I play with every once in a while in Logic is called Spreader, and it basically throws a sine wave on your EQ, and instead of louder and quieter, it's left and right. And so you can increase the number of like variations. And so it's basically chopping up your signal and saying, this portion is on the left and this portion is on the right. And it's kind of, as you play with the effect, it's a very strange thing to hear in the headphones even though you could probably hand your headphones to someone else after you've applied the effect and they'd be like, oh, it's just it's just a guitar and it sounds like it's kind of yeah. surrounding me. Um, sometimes it's useful, not always. Sometimes it just doesn't sound right. I try to add a screenshot of that, what you just explained, because yeah, that that's a technique. I also once used it, um, but I usually forget about it again, like the, the stereo spread effect, which is just, uh, you can do it with any stereo EQ. So yeah, that's, that was a little rundown on, on stereo because, uh, I mean, stereo is something we, yeah, not necessarily grew up with. I, I kind of grew up with stereo. Um, I'm not old enough to have a lot of experience with just mono stuff, but, um, yeah, we usually take stereo for granted in today's, uh, day. So I thought it was, was good to talk about just this principle of using stereo because we have it everywhere. And with that, let's get to our picks right. of the week. And I think I'm going to start first because with yours, we're going to have a little bit of discussion <laughs> there. So my pick of the week is Mouse on Mars with Twift Shoeblade. Um, I kind of, I, I got back to that song simply because uh, you or Lions asked me about my Reddit username and my Reddit username is Twift yeah. Shoeblade. So now everybody can see my posts on Reddit <laughs> on Wild. Um, I like the song and it's probably my favorite song by Mouse on Mars by, by a long shot. Um, it's just, it has this playful melody in, in a synth that you could actually probably use in like a, a hard hitting house track. Like it, it, the sound, the main synth sound, you could argue wouldn't really fit in there, but they kind of make it work by the way they play the melody and it's, it just sounds playful. And, but, what always, what's always great about Mars on Mars is they have crazy awesome percussion. Like they are, 
I mean, there, there are many electronic artists like um, FX Twin, Venetian Sweat, Snares. They all make great per- percussion tracks. But Mouse and Mars aren't too hectic. They are really complex. And um, they actually really have a drummer since the late 90s, I think. So this is one of those... I think this is this, the only electronic track that I know that kind of has a drum solo right in the middle. Like half of that song is just a drum solo, or an electronic drum solo. So let's just uh, let's just hear a little bit of the song. Yeah, right at the end there, yeah, that little shuffling triplet beat. Yeah, triplets. Yeah. So about one minute after that, it starts going to that crazy drum solo. So uh, it's not in that sample because I couldn't settle on one part of that drum solo without having not playing <laughs> the melody. So what what's your thoughts? Uh, what's your thoughts on that song? Yeah, very enjoyable. It reminded me of uh, some definitely some video game music of the 90s. Um I think you, you'd mentioned here in the notes that there was a, a commercial for uh, Space Station Silicon Valley was an N64 game yeah. and uh, that, that used some of their music. Yeah, they made the music for that game and so in return they used the video game footage for their music video. And I also remember an early N64 game called Blast Core by Rareware that had some music that sounds like they ripped off Mouse on Mars. It's <laughs> very, very techno synthy instrumentally yeah kind of minimalistic like yet complex that's how i would yeah. sum them up yeah very enjoyable stuff and they, they played a show the other other weekend um i kind of found out too late and the only tickets that were left were very expensive so i didn't go but i yeah i i kind of i drove to bochum and found out that mouse on mars is going to play two streets over so too bad own palette as well <laughs> and tyone brexton three of the people i wanted to see live and yeah, I didn't have 120 euros to spend on those tickets. <laughs> so let's talk about your pick of the week. All right. My pick of the week this week is a song by Roger Sellers called Spectralite. And it's a very rhythm heavy, um, arpeggio heavy song with uh, the vocals are kind of pushed in the back. They're kind of not super important in this song. But uh, right off the bat, the, the, the sound in this song really hooked me and and it just got better as it went along um so let's just listen to a little bit of spectralite So I I don't know that I have a lot to say about the song though we may have quite a discussion here about what chords are being played but uh I I do find the song super pleasant I listened to it probably 10 or 15 times this week um and you know I'm kind of getting into a rhythm when we do these picks of the week where there's kind of a 
several songs hovering in a halo of like, I might be the one. And then there's always one that kind of like, you know, towards when we're about to record like a day or two before, it's just like, yeah, that's the one. That's the one that's still great. And uh, this song kind of beat out the other songs in that way. And uh, I I mean, what do you make of this song? Right off the bat, the, it starts with those, with this bell arpeggio and multi-layered guitars. And yeah, right, right away I was hooked. Like I, it's just there. It's, it's great. And the next thing I noticed, and this is where our discussion starts because I couldn't go any further with it, is that, um, I really love it when a song doesn't start on the one of a scale, like on the, on the root note of a scale. But you don't notice at first. Like you could notice from from all the sounds that are playing around it, but the first time the bass note hits or the first chord is played, it, you, you're not really sure. Like you, you feel safe in saying, "Yeah, it usually starts on the one. It starts on the root note." But no, it doesn't do that here. Once it shifts to the second chord, you notice, oh, it's not hitting the the, the root note really, like the root chord, and it never really plays it throughout the whole song it just switches between those two chords and never really goes back to the tonic Mm -hmm. the problem starts where we can't agree which chords it is that he's playing there so (laughs) i am assuming this this song is actually like in a minor key i was um listening to the main guitar melody and the way it plays and to me that meant it was um i think i said it was a g minor right I, I think I think the song is in G minor. Let me yeah. let me let, take a look at my guitar again. Um, <laughs> well, the thing we agree on is the bass notes of the song are F sharp and E flat. So the, that is objectively what is happening in the song. And I contend that the the chords are F sharp major and E flat major. And I don't have a single doubt about that. Um, what I find interesting though is so you wrote in the notes that. Uh, the song starts on the six and goes to the four chord, which I, depending on which key you think it's in, I thought of it as the four chord and then the two chord. So if I'm thinking in major and you're thinking in minor, that's yeah. the exact same thing. So the only thing we're quibbling about is the, the third yeah. <laughs> on that second chord. I just checked which, again. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. Now, I, I just wanted to say, I just checked again. Uh, what I meant was B flat minor. I think this song is actually in B flat minor. The tonic is a B flat. It never really hits that. It just starts on the, on the sixth yeah. chord and then changes to the fourth chord. And like, it's, it's just there for me, but I, no, I don't see what, um, I don't hear what you hear. Well, to me, whether it's a B flat minor or what would that be? Uh, uh, would C major no not C major C sharp major would be the other the the same notes of a scale even though it starts on a different point yeah um it's kind of irrelevant to me because it's just dancing between these two chords and unless there's more to the song I well there's more to the song the other the other melodies play the rest of that scale no, that's if you, true. If that's you listen true. to the main melody that one is definitely in B minor because and it settles on the B like the main guitar melody the the last note is a B flat, and this is where the melody kind mm-hmm. of stops. It settles. That's where its end point is, and it is the mm-hmm. fifth of the chord that's being played underneath. And I agree with that, but it is the root <laughs> note of the whole scale. Yeah, and I mean, sure, 
<laughs> uh, to, to me, the, the point I'm making is not that it's not yeah. the minor key, that yeah. it's the same as the major key in terms of what notes are legal to play. Yeah. And so it's like a frame of reference thing for me. And so. And my frame of reference is usually a minor, like uh, the regular. I, I always mix this up. Is that the natural minor or the harmonic minor? Uh, I'm too far away from my music theory to remember. But, um, I'm, I really, usually don't, I, I'm not really, um, used to other scales like the Dorian and yeah, I don't use major anyway. So, um, yeah, it kind of, for me, it's just a minor key. So yeah, we had, we had a joyful discussion before the show. And then at some point we said, let's have that discussion on the show. <laughs> and we really would like to have some follow up. If any listeners here, also musicians or people with music theory could kind of, um, tell why one of us is wrong or the other one is right or why both of us are wrong maybe it's something different <laughs> altogether or maybe uh, roger salas himself is listening to this and we can ask him on twitter and uh, ask him what he says about this whole debacle here yeah I, f I feel like this this whole like choosing which key thing is mostly and you're probably on the right end of this is to me it's pragmatic like what's the simplest way to communicate to other musicians what yeah. to play and it probably does make sense to call it b flat minor for that purpose and uh i, I know there are conventions like you know there's there's conventions to do you say a sharp or b flat when you refer to something yeah and, well that depends on the on the scale you're in usually. yep exactly <laughs> yeah if there is an a note in the scale then you would say b flat for that note yeah so that there's not two a notes A's. right um That one makes sense because it's communicating to people very yeah. simply. Um, yeah, I I do love what this reveals, though, is one of, I would say, my musical superpowers is hearing <laughs> chords, like hearing what <laughs> chords are happening in a song. Um, that's something I've, I've always paid attention to, and yeah. just listening to the radio or listening to the songs is... Um, it feels like some songs really try to throw you off because there's so much... There's inversions, there's weird yeah. versions of chords, but um, I mean, the bass almost always gives it away completely, yeah. but all right. Uh, that was exhausting. <laughs> so uh, let's, we're, let's end we were, this here. We were agreeing vehemently. Yeah. So um, if you want to listen to those two tracks, you can uh, just pop on your Spotify or check our show notes. Um, we got a Spotify playlist as always, the bits and pieces Spotify playlist and those two songs are actually available in both of our regions so you are going to find it in there. Otherwise, if you don't use Spotify, just check out show notes at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash slash 32 and check out the show notes there. Um, you'll find YouTube links to both of those songs which usually are available to anyone so you can check those songs and check the chords on that song. Definitely do that. You can also subscribe to us with your favorite podcatcher on iOS. You can use Overcast FM or the built-in podcast app. On Android, you might use Pocket Cast or Podcast Addict. You can also support us directly on Patreon, patreon.com slash sunriserobot. And one of the rewards on there for supporting us is getting a shout-out on the show. So special thanks to Bruce Edwards and Andreas Lange. And if you want to give us some feedback, especially on that last piece, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Metwords Music and at Echolox, E-C-H-O-L-O-X. All right, see you next week. Bye.